Welcome to the Ink to Film Podcast, where we read the book and then see the movie. I'm James. And I'm Luke. And this week, we discuss Peter Jackson's 2001 fantasy epic, The Fellowship of the Ring, the first film in his Lord of the Rings trilogy. One ring to rule them all, one ring to find them, one ring to bring them all, and in the darkness bind them. Hey guys, before we get to the episode proper, we wanted to tell you about something we're really excited about. Uh, we're actually launching a Patreon. I am so excited for this. I, I, I'm hoping that we can have a lot of good content in there for people. Um, we're, we have we have some different levels where you can get different things. Um, we're going to be creating bonus episodes, stuff like that. But I also want to go ahead and point out that like our original podcast, the one you're listening to now, will be unchanged. Like The only thing, it, was, it might get better because <laughs> we have more <laughs> money coming in. But... It'll always be free and it'll always be weekly. That's our plan for this for this show. And that's not changing. Right. But if you're if you like to listen to the stuff that we talk about, we are going to be doing bonus episodes where we cover various things. Yeah, Um, we're at least doing for now one episode a month. Yeah, I think we're going to talk about like what each level is and how much, you know, how much you can pledge and what that gets you and around the midpoint. But just for now, like I wanted to to say that the reason we're doing it right? right, we're not doing it to make money. Like what it is, is this money, this, uh, sorry, this show costs us money to run and like, it's starting to get a little bit unsustainable and both of us don't like that. Like we want this thing to keep going. So we're looking for you guys, our, our, you know, our listeners to help us out. Like if you love this show and you're willing to, you know, pitch a few bucks our way to help keep it running, like we're, we're going to try and give you as much as we can to, to, to earn that money. But yeah, it's uh, it would be a huge help because we want to just keep this thing going on, uh, indefinitely. And we understand if it's one of those things where, you know, if you have the extra cash to help us out, that would be amazing. But we're not saying this is an ultimatum or anything like that, but we would really enjoy it. And we think that it would be a great opportunity for us to interact with with people who are very passionate about the podcast. So we just we see this as an opportunity to get to know you guys better and to get you involved even more in this podcast. Yeah, if like like you said, James, like if money's tight and you just can't do it right now, I totally get that. Like, don't worry about it. You know what I mean? It's you know we're we're talking to people who are like, yeah, I have a few bucks to spare, and like I like I enjoy this show. Like, absolutely, man. But yeah, don't ever feel like you know like you have to do it to be like a good listener. Totally not true. Uh, we appreciate anyone who listens, regardless of whether or not they even check out this Patreon. But for those of you who are interested, uh, it's patreon.com forward slash ink to film. Uh, we'll put it in the show notes and you can go and look it over. There's a whole page there. You can check out all the all the rewards for yourself. Um, but otherwise, we're going to I think we're going to talk more about it at the midpoint. With all that being said, thank you guys for, for stopping in. And here is our actual episode for Lord of the Rings Fellowship of the Ring, the film. And here we are. What a ride. This movie is is just unbelievable. Yeah, man, I love it. It's one of my favorite movies. Um, but I will say, I'm gonna have a few criticisms for it. I don't want to. I don't want to come in and just heap heap only love on it. Just like with uh, Tolkien's books, I want to make sure I also point out things I didn't like about it. So, be aware. Sweet. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm ready for that. <laughs> okay. Um, 
I guess I should start off by saying that like on this podcast, a few times I've said certain movies are my favorite movies. Yeah. This is definitely in my favorite movies. And yeah. honestly, more often than than not, this might be my favorite movie. Like this might be the one that I go to when somebody asks like what your favorite movie is. Is it your favorite of the trilogy? Oh yeah, for sure. Mine too. Not to say the other ones aren't great as well, but this one just like it has it all for me and yep. it came out at the perfect time and just, just I mean, this movie means a lot to me. So I'm really glad that we're covering it. So I figure we can start with some talk of Peter Jackson, the director of this film, uh, up front. Let's do it. So Peter Jackson is a New Zealand film director, screenwriter, and film producer. He's best known as the director, writer, and producer of the Lord of the Rings trilogy and The Hobbit, but he's also done other films, Bad Taste, Dead Alive, Heavenly Creatures, The Frighteners. Have you seen any of, any of these other ones? I have not seen any of those. I was just thinking, like, I don't know that I've seen another Peter Jackson movie. Well, I'm sure you've seen the King Kong Peter Jackson movie, right? Oh, yeah. That's the one I did yeah. see. You're right. I would recommend The Frighteners for sure. Okay. I think you'd really like it. I, I There's there's some stuff that went on when this movie was being made, and we'll get into it, but there's some creatives that were vo- involved, Alan Lee and John Howe, and uh, supposedly Peter Jackson sent them because he was so impressed with their artwork. They had been doing Tolkien artwork for a very long time. Because he was so impressed with their artwork, he sent them like care package and said like, I would love for you to be involved in this and like sent them like his films. And I think the Frighteners and like Heavenly Creatures were were in there. And so some of these guys that were like huge Tolkien, like like they'd been drawing Tolkien for 20 years, mm-hmm. uh, they decided to get involved because they felt that Peter Jackson was a good fit. That's really cool that he brought in artists like that for the kind of visuals. like. I yeah, hats off to him for that. Yeah, and I mean, all in all, I think Peter Jackson's a really important filmmaker to me because, as I said, this is probably my favorite film, and this is one of the reasons why I wanted to get into filmmaking and and just production and films in general. Um, I've the appendices in this in these films the, uh, that come on the you know the DVDs or the Blu-rays right. are are like a documentary there's a documentary per film basically that's an additional like three or four hours and like in there you get so much of peter jackson talking about what it means to what these books meant to him and how he wanted to adapt them and the care and love that went into it and you get a lot of the behind the scenes stuff and seeing that when i was young was very formative um and i just recently rewatched them when we when we watched this movie so i meant to watch more of them but i ended up not having time um but yeah, I definitely want to talk about them. I, I I think I've seen them in the past, like a long time ago when I first got the DVD. But it's not as fresh in my mind. Yeah, it's it's amazing stuff. They they cover anything you could want to know about the production of these movies. It's it's in there. But yeah, I mean, I guess now that we've talked about Peter Jackson a little bit, we can talk about just general thoughts, things we want to say about the movie. What's your experience with it? I know we've talked like a decent amount on our book episodes yeah. about some of the experience with the movie, but just like overall, what do you remember from the first time you saw it? What did you? What were your feelings this time? Yeah, so this movie came out in 2001, which I would have been like probably a freshman in high school, something like that. Uh, I do remember going to see it with my friends. I think we drove down to Vero Beach in Florida because uh, they had the big theater there. I think we went down and we all saw it together. I remember sitting in a row of like 14 of us who were all high school kids, you know. Um, yeah, I just, I mean, it blew me away. And and it, it rekindled my love for fantasy. Like, I was already a big fantasy nerd in high school. But, I mean, this just really, it was such a cool adaptation to see. And it's a movie that I've just rewatched countless times since, you know. So my hat's off to him, even though, like, I do have little gripes here and there. Um, which we'll talk about, but overall, it's just a brilliant movie. 
Agreed, man. What were your general thoughts this time? Like, what was it like? What, I know you. I saw some some pictures on Instagram and stuff, so you yeah. had some nice whiskey to go along with your viewing. <laughs> yeah, man, always. I get super hyped for the movies we cover. I, I think we've talked about this in other episodes. After reading the book and spending all that time talking about it, when I sit down to watch these films... I, I like I feel like I could levitate like I'm just so excited I'm just like oh this is gonna be so cool like I, and I'm so excited for this so pumped um, so yeah like I said you know I, I wish our li- I hope our listeners get like a piece of that because that's how cool it is for me to watch them at least and yeah that held up like it I was so excited for all these scenes a lot of the little scenes that I wasn't as into I think in the past I made more like sense to me and were more memorable to me because often it was like stuff from the books that would get added in, you know? So yeah. yeah, it was all cool. I think we should also talk about the fact that we watched the extended edition. So oh, it's yeah. not necessarily the edition that everybody is completely accustomed to or the one that they saw first or anything. So obviously we saw the theatrical version first in theaters. Um, and I don't know how much you remember that, but there are obviously a lot of differences because the movie's a lot longer. We go from like a, you know, two and a, two and a half hour movie to like nearly three, three, and, three and a half, half three hours, 45, yeah. yeah. Do you remember any of the differences, any of the things that you, like stood out to you that you were like, oh, this is like just like getting ridiculous because it's so long? Or did you feel like it was like as a Tolkien fan where you like it was so great to see the extended cut? Like, I guess, how did you feel about the pacing of the movie? Because at some point I feel like the pacing it, it goes out the window for these movies. Yeah, you know, and, and it's hard. I probably am not the best judge of that right now because I ended up watching it on two separate nights. I watched the first because it's like it's on two different discs, which gives you this really natural stopping point, um, which is right after the Council of Elrond, the first disc ends. So I stopped there and then I watched the sec- like the ne- the second half the next night. So I kind of treated it more like a TV show. Um, and so because of that, I think it helped the pacing because, it, it, you know what I mean? Like I wasn't sitting there for four almost four hours. Typically, I'm a... I'm a stickler for for some, a movie that feels like it's dragging and stuff, but um, I think there's just so much bias in the in this story. Like I think that I can't even look at it with fresh eyes and think of the fact the pacing issues that that people bring up. Just yeah. because I'm like, so I just want it to be longer. I want more. <laughs> um, I want everything to be on screen and like it's not practical in any way. But it's just like I, I don't know. The extended edition for me is the I don't even I can't remember the last time I watched the theatrical version. Yeah. Um, it just adds a lot of little moments and there are things that are cut that like were probably smart to cut for a theatrical cut sure. um, that are put back in. So I also wanted to talk about the just overall production design, overall effort and, and just like unbelievable amount of like talent creation that went into this movie. After watching the appendices again, I was like, I was like this, this is like, this doesn't even happen anymore, really. Um, Peter Jackson wanted to make this film and he went to Miramax and Miramax uh, kind of signed on to have him write the script. He wrote the script and they were going to have they were going to have it all three books in two movies. So he found a, a way to to basically put it into two scripts. And Miramax was like, you know what? We actually want to do one one script and one movie for all three. And I he's don't like, know I just whose idea do it was to do those three books in, in two movies, but it was a bad idea. That's yeah. that's crazy. Well, and then Miramax was like, we wanted it in one. And he was like, I can't do that. They wanted it so, in one? No fucking way. <laughs> so he was like, I can't do that. And luckily, sometimes when this when this happens, Miramax, like if they hire somebody to write a script, it can be locked into that studio. 
But right. luckily, they gave him the the opportunity to take it to other other studios, and he took it to New Line. And famously, when he took it to New Line, um, he pitched it as two movies, as he was to Miramax. And one of the really high up executives was like, "This is three movies. Why? Why? Are, there's three books. Why are you trying to make this in two in two yeah. movies? And the rest is history. And he wow. got to make three movies. Yeah, that. I mean, I t- I'm with that exact. <laughs> yeah. Finally, an exec I mean, who, who knows something's up, right? I know, man. It's it's just like the, everything about this movie is just like it sounds like a movie. The process of it being made, everything that happens, uh, just like little stuff I'll throw in. Like famously, Vigo wasn't was cast the last moment, like yeah. the last possible moment. It was going to be Nicolas Cage. Yeah, and he turned it down, right? Uh, he had some sort of like family issues going on, so he had to he had to leave the production. And uh, I mean, he had like no prep time, and yeah. Vigo came in and just absolutely killed, just killed it. it. He had to. One of his first scenes was the the uh, the scene where he fights the wraiths, and he had like no sword training, and he had like the craziest crash course in sword training of all time, and this like master sword like swordsman teacher told him that he was like after the production of all three films he was like Vigo is the best swordsman I've ever trained, <laughs> so it's like it's cool, it's it's all it's all like mythic to me like I just can't believe yeah. some of these things that went on. I um so so I didn't get to watch all the appendices, but I did catch. Um, my wife was actually watching the movie again with uh, the like the commentary, like the cast commentary. Yeah, and so I caught some of that. And one of the things I, I picked up from that was that um, uh, during Boromir's final scene at the end of the movie, Aragorn, um, Viggo Mortensen, and and them, but said that it was some of the first scenes they shot. And so they had to like bring all of this like energy and chemistry and sadness and all of this stuff when they hadn't even been working together and like shot all those other scenes that we all see. Like they shot that one of the earliest one of the earliest scenes they shot. So that's really crazy when actors can do that. Like I know that that's common, but to me, it's still like really cool that that they can do that. It's it's wild, man. And it just goes to show that like a good performer is a good performer because like it's that's just how movies are made like it's going to be out of order period yeah um i mean sometimes some directors are able to pull it off where they want it chronologically for a certain reason but um really crazy about that scene something that i saw in the appendices was apparently you so you get coverage of of one actor doing the whole scene multiple times get multiple takes and then you flip it and you get the coverage of the other actor if you're going to be doing close-ups and apparently they did Boromir's close up, like Sean Sean Bean's close up and everything, all of his emotional scene and stuff. And then they broke for lunch and then came back and then did Aragorn's stuff. So it's like, can you imagine like having like a, like you're cooling down from, from that scene and then you're eating, you're full of food and then you're like, <laughs> all right, let's go back to work and then launch into this emotional scene for, for Vigo. Wow, yeah. Okay, so to talk about the production design and some of the stuff that went on, um, there was a mixture of practical effects, miniatures and digital effects in this movie. And Two Towers and and Return of the King hold up in their own right. There's some some CG stuff that that I feel like like if he had strayed away a little more, they'd hold up a little more. But in the original for Fellowship, uh, there was a year of prep time before they started production, and if not more, because he was he was doing all sorts of writing and stuff before that. Uh, I think the first script was turned in in like '97. During that year, they found locations. They got all this. They started production with Weta Workshop on all like the masks and the practical effects and all the set design, everything they were going to need for the movie. They had like years to set this up, and the Shire was was. It took a year to build the Shire. Like a, they basically were like, "How long will it take you to build this vision that we have?" And they had those artists that I spoke of before, Alan Lee and John Howe. I I feel like I should emphasize these are like legendary Tolkien artists. Like they like when you like 
Peter Jackson loved their artwork so much that he was like, I want this like put on screen exactly how it looks in these in some of these drawings. Mm -hmm. They were there at the Shire, the location, and they sketched the Shire sitting in the was just the hills in New Zealand where they wanted to build it. And then they took a year to to construct like an actual the all the hobbit holes the all of hobbiton was like a practical effect basically a practical yeah. set well they've turned um, it into like a basically a tourist attraction now in new zealand from what i understand yeah yeah which is crazy because i think after the production of the first trilogy they tore it down and like left some of it there and then built it again for the hobbit and then now they've left it there as like a full-on exhibit that you can go visit and stuff that's crazy uh, so I just want to stop you for a second. Um, I've always thought, and I think I've, I'd heard this somewhere, that these three movies were essentially filmed at the same time, and that they filmed it all over the course of like a few years. And then it was more like when they were coming out, it was more just like putting the final touches on it. Is that true? Yeah, yeah, that's a good point. All three of the movies were filmed all at once. So it was all in one go. So yeah. New Line Cinema wanted to make three films. They gave Peter Jackson the go ahead. He He wrote the scripts. Um, famously, he wrote the screenplay with Fran Walsh, who was his wife, and Philippa Boyens. And they worked tire So just t- all basically throughout the production of the, of all three films, they were just constantly, if they weren't on set, Peter, Peter was in the writer's room with them, rewriting stuff, perfecting, putting more Tolkien touches in there. And yeah, um, basically, these movies came out like 2001, 2002, 2003, I believe. Right. I think it was like basically back to back to back. And so they were, the the principal photography ended in like probably late 1990, no, probably 2000, in late 2000. And then the first film came out late 2001. So they were basically putting on in all the effects they needed to do. They used a lot of like blue screen mixed with practical effects, mixed with computer generated stuff. And it was at that time, it was fairly early on in the computer generated yeah. era. So the way the the reason it looks so good still is because it's that that blend of all those things, but yeah, it's unbelievable to 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 note that like all three of the movies were shot at once because not many, not many franchises do that. There's was, been that's a what I was gonna times. say. Like it just seems like that's almost unheard of nowadays to do that. Yeah, I mean, Infinity War uh, shot most of their stuff back to back as well for Infinity War and then Avengers Four. Most of that sh- stuff was all shot together. Avengers 4, is that the one that isn't out yet or already out? That's the one, yeah. Avengers 4 is coming out next year. Oh, okay. Interesting. So they've already shot a lot of stuff for that, you're saying? Yeah, and the reason for that is because the cast is so massive. They want yeah. they can't get all those cast members back together multiple times. That makes sense. But for, for, for so back on the Lord of the Rings, though, like, I, I wanted, that was one of the things I wanted to talk about. Like, when Gandalf goes to Minas Tirith in this first movie, and there's this whole big set, and he's walking through it, and you're like, did they make this just for this one throwaway scene? Like, that's what's so cool about it. Because you made all three movies, you don't realize that the place you just saw is, like, a huge thing in the third movie, right? So it, it's cool that they're able to do that, right? Like, they can lean on the stuff from other movies. Whereas if you had only filmed one movie at a time, you probably wouldn't have done that. It helped the production so much. It had to be done this way. And, I mean, it's a miracle that this movie It didn't movie have to be. It, it just it had to be done for it to be this good. I think exactly yeah. yeah 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 definitely for the quality of this film and just the trilogy in general is basically because all of these people got together and worked their asses off for like three years straight and pumped out three amazing films yeah we talked a little bit about casting and I wanted to like re- revisit that um, do you want to do it now or do you want to save that for later I mean yeah let's talk about the, let's talk about cast okay so I think we can all agree there's a few like legendary performances right like you know Viggo Mortensen as Aragorn and, and Ian McKellen as, as Gandalf, right? 
Um, right. I, I also read that Sean um, Sean Connery uh, was 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 up for Gandalf, and I guess he turned yeah, it yeah. down. Um, I've heard that, yeah. Yeah, which that's pretty crazy. I don't know. Like he might have been a pretty good Gandalf too, but it's still hard to imagine Gandalf as anyone other than Ian McKellen. So it, yeah. it's hard. It's tough to say. I do like Sean Connery though, so it might have been interesting he, in an alternate universe. It's like Nick Nick Cage and Sean Connery in an alternate universe. <laughs> <laughs> he would have been great. I just think that like Ian McKellen brought like he was like so close to Tolkien's work. Like Sean Connery seems like he wasn't as invested. Like it yeah. sounded like he didn't want to do it because he didn't understand it. Well, I also read that Patrick Stewart was approached with the role, but he read the script and didn't like it enough and ended up turning it down before they approached Ian McKellen. Crazy. Patrick Stewart as Gandalf. How about that? <laughs> yeah. His good friend, too. Those guys are good friends in real life. I just it's crazy because I can't separate Ian McKellen from from Gandalf. He is yeah. Gandalf. So I'm gonna go ahead and pick a couple that I'm not as fond of though. Well, uh, first also, yeah, Sean Astin as Sam is fantastic. He is like he might be the best like of all the casting, he might be the best casting because he's so likable. He nails that character so well, like you just feel you you connect immediately with him. And yeah, I don't know. He might be the best casting of all of them, like low key. But uh, I, I don't know how I, I still to this day don't know how I feel about Elijah Wood as Frodo. Oh, my God, man. Blasphemy. I, Blasphemy. I'm sorry, dude. I, I, he just there's he has this like flat affect and this kind of like, I don't know, his delivery on some of the lines. He's not bad. It's just like I want there to be something more to his character um and, and like like imagining the character from the book and then seeing him on screen it's like there's there's also a disconnect for me there where it doesn't feel like the same character yeah well i agree i, I mean that's valid because it's it's fairly different character because he's so much younger in this he's yeah. like per, he's supposed to be so much younger um but i i have to disagree man like he's, i thought he's this, he's like my least favorite hobbit of all the hobbits he's wild, my least man. favorite casting I think he's unbelievably good, man. Like I, I like when I watch these movies. Like I feel so much for 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 Frodo, and I think Elijah pulled off the performance that like I would no, I don't think anybody envies that. That's a hard role to pull off, and yeah. like I don't know. I think I think he does a great job. Did you um, did you see that Jake Gyllenhaal uh, auditioned for the role, but apparently he bombed, and he said it was one of his worst auditions he ever did. No, I didn't know that. That's funny. <laughs> yeah, around that time he was. I think he was around like eighteen, so he was he was really young. When, nice. he, when he auditioned for it, yeah, I don't know. Like, I I don't want to shit on it too much because he 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 did fine. Um, it just he, his like of all the hobbits, he's my least favorite casting. I don't know. Another one, I uh, Elrond. I, I I what is the name of that character? What's the name of that actor? Do you know? Hugo Weaving. Hugo Weaving. I just can't get behind him as Elrond, man. He ta- he like takes me out of the movie whenever I see him as Elrond. Mm-hmm. Um, now in the book, Elrond is described as being young, like in his prime. So they changed it. They aged him up for the movie. But even still, like, he, he has this receding hairline. He looks like fucking... It's not Agent Smith. Is it Agent Smith? From it's, The Matrix. Um, yeah, it's Agent Smith, yeah. Yeah, he looks like Agent Smith. And I had just seen The Matrix, I think, when the movie came out. So it was really fresh in my mind. Yeah. Um, and I can never separate that role. Like, that role is just so iconic for me now. It's like seeing Arnold in something. Like, you can't... <laughs> like, you're like, oh, it's the Terminator. But, like, it's like... I can't think of him as anything other than Agent Smith whenever I see him. And... So I see him as that and as Elrond. And then the first time you see him pop up on, well, not the first time, I guess. The first time is like in that little like expository thing at the beginning. 
But the right. but the first time in the like movie proper that we meet him, he pops up as this floating head and this weird visiony thing, and he's like, "Welcome to House Elrond" or something. I can't remember what he says. And then he like disappears again, and then like Frodo wakes up and he's and he's he's Gandalf. It's yeah. so weird, and it's just this like, ah, "Hello, I'm Elrond," and I, like, I, that is one of the like that that scene does not hold up. First off, and then yeah, I just yeah, he's 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 not he's not great to me. Not in this yeah, role. I know what you mean about that that scene where they're like superimposing people over top, and Ar- it's that Arwen scene where she finds Frodo and she's she, they're bringing them to to Rivendale, and then yeah. he like wakes up. But I don't know, man. I don't I don't think Hugo Weaving does a bad job. I I will say that when I was younger, I wasn't as much of a fan, and now for whatever reason, I think of him when I'm thinking when whenever we were reading the the book, I was thinking of him for Elrond. I think I think this should come with the caveat that like I was gonna say coming into this episode that like I don't know that I could recast anybody in this movie because I thought it was flawless. So yeah. I feel like I'm gonna disagree at every turn, but that's, that's fine. fine. Man. So this I want to yeah fine. I want to hear I want to hear who else you don't or you do or don't like. Yeah, I mean I, I mean if we just want to run through the cast, like I, I really like everybody. I I think um, everybody else was good. Uh, I mean I, I wish they had treated Gimli's character differently. Mm-hmm. Um, I I think the dwarves I, we talked about in the book episodes, but I think. The dwarves in this movie are kind of a comedic thing, and right. Gimli has a, a few good moments. Like he has a, he has a couple of like heartfelt moments, but for the most part, he's there to kind of be the butt of the joke a lot. And yeah, I didn't I like that, but I do like the actor, and I think he had the capability of doing more. And it was just more like how he was written that I wasn't as fond of. I think that he definitely got shafted, like as far as this the jokes and everything that he was given he was basically like another hobbit because the hobbits like like mary and pippin are given a lot of like funny stuff to do and so they were like oh we're gonna have gimli do do something similar and there are moments that he shines and that like i think like oh wow like this is it's good because it plays off the fact that he's like a funny guy when he's very serious and like a badass like that obviously plays like fun loving but also kind of dumb but he he's like when it's time to show up he shows up I, it feels to me also like, and and this, this I don't know how you're gonna feel about me saying this, but it it's like Peter Jackson finds short people to be inherently funny, like whenever it's like the hobbits are they're they're funny because they're small, and then like when when you started casting the dwarves, and you can look at the Hobbit movies is another prime example of this, like they're all kind of funny because they're small, right? Like nudge nudge. Like, I don't know. Like, it's like, I think that's the wrong way to look at dwarves. You shouldn't be looking at them as like a funny, small human. And like, we all got to like, kind of be in on the joke that he's little and he can be tossed and like all this stuff. Like, I, I don't think that that was the right way to go about handling the dwarves. I definitely think that it can be seen that way. Like, I think that, that him making some of the hobbits funny and, and like having Gimli, like seeing all these guys as funny. I definitely think that's a valid argument because it seems like it definitely, he didn't, he definitely didn't nail what the dwarves were supposed to be. He made a decision to be like dwarves in, in my universe, dwarves are going to be funny. Yeah. Do I think that it goes as far as to say that Peter Jackson thinks that little people are, are funny? I don't I don't know. I don't think that that's true. <laughs> it's he works probably closely not true, with a lot of like yeah. <laughs> he works with a lot of like small people. Yeah. Um, it's like the uh, con- he finds the concept funny of being like a little person. He finds yeah, that. Funny. I hope that's not true, but maybe it seems like that, right? Because of because of all these these people. Yeah. Um, actually, bringing up uh, little people reminds me that they had a lot of scale in the film was there yeah which it's amazing how they how they dealt with that it's crazy yeah we'll come back to the the cast here in a second but i just feel like right now we should address this so the scale in these films there's there's a mixture of of using actors on on like blue screen basically and, and putting them in the film there's um 
but the thing that I find fascinating is when they do all of it in camera and they, they literally just use the perspective to make like a Hobbit look small and Gandalf look huge. Yeah. There's a, a part in the appendices that really, really covers this. And what's amazing to see is that, that I was like, I understood how they did it and I, I got it for a very long time. I was like, okay, so basically what it is, is you place someone closer and someone further away and you don't have them make eye contact. You have them look in the direction at where the force perspective would would have you think that they were looking mm. so like they, they the actors aren't looking at each other on set and they're like angled in a way that they're they seem like they're different sizes right and but the thing that blew me away was when it comes to moving the camera having a, a camera in motion while also having those force perspective and that scaling you have to have objects and things in the scene move in sync with the camera so basically they engineered ways to have like the tables, like the, there's a scene where, where Frodo is pouring tea for Gandalf mm-hmm. and the half of the table is split in half and it's on like a moving track. <laughs> and basically what happens is as the camera is dollying left, the table is moving in sync with it so that your force, your, your perspective is that it's still very small because everything on that table is miniature. And as they move it through that force perspective, it, it all remains like it's tricking your eye the entire time and it's just unbelievable craftsmanship and like That's like so cool yeah. n- like knowledge of geometry and like how everything works in camera i just can't even imagine how complicated that is to get figured out speaking of that watching it in blu-ray uh really shows to me how how tough it is for modern filmmakers with the with the rise of like imax cameras and 4k to disguise things because this this time around like i can always tell when it's not Ian McKellen, and it's like his double, where and or he's got like these big kind of shoulder buildups, and like to make him look really tall or whatever it is, and you could tell it's not Ian McKellen just by the, his body shape, um, right? And like I feel like in the past I didn't notice that because the, the probably just because the resolution wasn't as good, but in Blu-ray it's kind of obvious. It's like oh that's not him at all. Um, yeah, there are times that you yeah. can definitely tell that like the 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 um, smaller doubles will come in and play like hobbits next to the men. Um, and there are times that you can definitely kind of tell, like you're like, oh, it doesn't look 100% perfect. So I definitely agree with you with, I feel like it's, you know, with CG now, it's a lot easier, but it's definitely something that I noticed as well in this watch through. So back to the cast, uh, who else, who else do you, do you, uh, I am particularly interested in how you feel about Liv Tyler as, as Arwen. Yeah, that's a good point. She is, you know what? I, I think she's very similar to Elijah Wood to me. Like, I, I like and dislike that portrayal. And I feel that way about Liv Tyler and everything she's in. <laughs> there's, like, there's something about her that is, like, doesn't, I don't know, it's, like, doesn't quite match the role she's she's doing. It feels very much like she is Liv Tyler playing this person. Mm-hmm. And she doesn't disappear into roles, I guess, as much as I would like. Um, Like, I, I mean, like, I like her as Arwen, but... Yeah, I don't know. It, once again, there's like a little bit of this like flat affect she has where she doesn't put a lot of emotion into her voice and it always leaves something to be desired for me. I, I would say that if there was anyone that I felt like was, w- wasn't was like... Uh, first of all, I don't think Arwen was given, even though I have to give Peter Jackson credit, he gave Arwen way more to do. Yeah. It's still not enough. Like there should have been better. I mean, and like... Galadriel is a is a great character, and I think that that it's cool that she's in there as well. But it, it I don't know. You just it just feels like there's a severe lack of women in this, and I'm not. And yeah. it's source material is like that as well. So yeah, I don't know how much I blame. Yeah, Peter Ao, Jackson. Aowen isn't in this movie, but to me, she's the best 
character and portrayal of any woman in these movies. But yeah, so but she's not in this one, so we probably shouldn't talk about her. But yeah, yeah we'll talk about it, her in a future episode. <laughs> maybe. Yeah, I agree. Galadriel's really good. Um, yeah, and and I like that they gave Arwen more to do with the um, you know come and claim him line, and like actually liked her more in that moment than I liked her. It was a lot of the stuff in Rivendell between her mm-hmm. and Vigo where it, it just wasn't quite landing. Yeah. I don't. I wouldn't change anything, but I think if I was forced, I would probably have someone else play her and have someone else play Elrond. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think so. Uh, yeah, I, I also have to shout out uh, Christopher Lee as Saruman, uh, the oh, late Christopher Lee. Course. He was yeah. so good. He is so perfect. Him, he and him and Ian McKellen just squaring off in that wizard battle, which is so fucking metal. Can we just say how awesome it's that battle so is? Good man, <laughs> just the fucking like when he's spinning him on his head with the two staves. I don't know how they pulled that that thing off, but it just looks amazing. Like I haven't seen many other wizard battles if it, that I can think of off the top of my head, at least that look as good as that one. Yeah, I mean, it, it's awesome. It's so good. Like you said, Saruman is like, there's a couple steps of evil in this movie, right? There's Sauron, Saruman, yeah. and then there's your your orcs. Saruman is such an imposing force for this story. I think he adds so much to it. And yeah, Chris really brought so much gravitas. And I, here we should make another note of a little fun fact. He was the only one in the in the actual cast to have ever met J.R. Tolkien. Wow. Yeah, and he was—he actually, this is actually unbelievable. He was such a big fan of Lord of the Rings that he read it every day, or sorry, he read it every day. He read it every year, once a year, mm-hmm. from the time that it came out till the till the year that he died, once a year. That's wild. He was that big of a fan. And um, he was always, Peter Jackson says that he was always there making sure that J.R.R. Tolkien's like vision was being met and that he held them to a high standard. And famously, J.R.R. Tolkien supposedly said that... Uh, he would he would allow Christopher Lee to to play Gandalf in a in a Lord of the Rings adaptation, which is like unbelievable <laughs> so praise cool. and and like so so cool that he ended up in the actual films. Absolutely, man. Yeah, he um he so, oh so that reminds me of something I wanted to ask about his character in this movie. Is Saruman alone in that giant tower? Is that what we're supposed to understand? That that's just his house and he lives there by himself. Well. I, yeah, I think for, for the most part, yeah. But I think we so see some weird, orcs pop but like up that's what it seems to be, right? Yeah. What do we see? We see some orcs like come in and be like, "Well, yeah, the, the orcs," but say? they show up later. They're not supposed to be there. As far as like Gandalf thinks, like, "Hey, I'm gonna go talk to go talk to Saruman." He's the leader of the order, man. He's got a big cool castle thing. And and is it also hollow? Isn't that we're also led to believe? Like it's just like goes up forever inside because he gets thrown up in the air. Yeah, so it's this giant right. hollow tower that he lives in by himself. I don't know. That's pretty weird. <laughs> <laughs> I uh, I actually paid more attention because we just read the books. I paid more attention to the interaction between Gandalf and, and Sar- Saruman yeah. in this. Uh, and I felt like I actually enjoyed like I've always enjoyed it, but I enjoyed it more this time because I yeah. was like had the context of the book and it's always great to have. Yeah, absolutely. You, you understand their relationship more from reading it, yeah. I think. Speaking of that, he you can tell that's the only time I think in the whole movie in any of the movies where we see Gandalf deferring to somebody and like like oh, deferring yeah. to their judgment. And we mm-hmm. see that and it feels really weird when he shows up and it like it immediately makes us uncomfortable because we're like, why are you deferring to this man, Gandalf? Mm-hmm. You know, Definitely. there's clearly something weird about him. But <laughs> yeah, like reading the books explains why he does that. Right. Yeah. So yeah, it's so, really interesting. 
there's a little bit of that when he's when Elrond says like the ring can't stay here and all that, and he's saying like all that stuff. He yeah, kind of defers right. to Elrond. He kind of defers to Elrond. You're right, but it's different though. It's like it's like more like um, mutual respect kind right. of thing. Whereas with Saruman, it was like he's the boss. Is kind right. of the feeling I got exactly. So, and this is a question that I have for you. I want to talk about the score a lot. This is something yes. that I think we're definitely going to talk about. But the score when when. Gandalf is first arriving in Isengard, even as a child, even when I first saw this movie, I knew right away that Saruman was a bad guy. Yeah. Like there was never any like twisting shock for me. Yeah. Um, there was never any moment where Score I was like, that's a good guy. And then, oh my God, he's turned bad. Um, and so I guess that's something over the years that I've like keyed in on more. But at first I like, I was, of course he's bad. There's bad music playing. Right. I don't know if you remember, but like on your first viewing, were, were you like, obviously, or were you like surprised that he was a bad guy? I think when I first saw this movie, I had already seen the animated version. So I okay. think I knew already he was bad. Um, but it, it, speaking of the score in general, yeah, it's it's incredible. And it does. I think the thing that comes with it being so good and they use it to like they use it as a, a function of storytelling very strongly. Like right. it's tied to location. When we're in Hobbiton, we get Hobbiton music. When we are mm-hmm. with the fellowship, we get the fellowship theme and every now and then they'll kind of spice it in, spice it into different scenes. Right. If something gets talked about, like, Oh, we talk about Isengard for a minute. So we'll do a little bit of Isengard music right. or whatever. Right. And, yes. and, 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 and Orthanc has this like, is it like flies down into that pit and we see all the orcs. It's like, dum, dum, dum. Like that right. is so iconic and it's so cool. And like, and man, just the music in this, in this movie is incredible. The Hobbiton music just perfectly captures that homey feel that you get from reading the book and like hats off to them for, for, for nailing that feel and nailing that score. Absolutely. So big shout out to Howard Shore. He uh, composed this. There is, there's something that I felt, really um perfectly talked about the score and i know you and i on this on this podcast have talked about this channel before but nerdwriter on on youtube has a has a video about mm. the score of fellowship of the ring the way that he i mean the knowledge that he brings to it like i'm not going to do it any justice but i want i do want to talk about it here so shout out to nerdwriter if you guys want to check out this video it's I, a great I channel it's, called, like, it's a great yeah. channel i like that guy's stuff he's awesome so he does a lot of like video essays and it's a lot a lot of times it's about film so i'm all about that he talks about how as the fellowship is developing certain you get more instruments the addition of instruments when we lose gandalf we get the subtraction of certain instruments in the same piece of music oh wow in i want to rewatch the, that like i think i've seen that that video but i want to rewatch it now that we've done all yes this. it's i mean it's it's unbelievable he talks about um the pacing of the song uh, quicken sometimes and then other times it slows down yeah. for different reasons and there's reasons behind it and Howard Shore is an absolute genius and the collab I mean Peter Jackson in, in t- absolutely picked the best people in the industry to help him with this um, what a workshop I mean this these movies solidified what a workshop as what it is today but like they did an outrageous job with set design and and the practical effects and all that but Howard Shore's theme is so I I honestly and I don't say this lightly, think that it's it's the best score in a film. I think that Jaws is fantastic for what it is. I think that 2001 A Space Odyssey has an amazing score. Star Wars is obvious. Blade Runner we've talked about on this podcast Blade early Runner, on. Yeah. But I this I, like, I challenge anyone to, to tell me that I'm wrong because the, it's unbelievably crafted. And I think that it stands as one of the, like, there's, he talks about it in the Nerdwriter video, but there's, there's, um, there's light motifs that are associated with all characters, um, instruments that are that are 
added and subtracted, if he's foreshadowing, if he's bringing back memories of other things. The last couple shots of this movie where Frodo's sitting on the shore and we get this very slowed down, quiet, um, Shire theme is like, it, it literally when I hear the, some of these themes, um, immediately just brings emotions to me. And I know that's what music is supposed to be, but it's to another level. Yeah, man. I mean, I, I have personal favorites, so I'm trying to like run through my head. Um, but it's more just like a, a certain piece of that score that I just love. Like uh, right. Inception is, is a yeah. great standout where it's just like, iconic. But mm-hmm. um, is the whole score like as a whole better? I don't think so. Uh, it's up there. But yeah, you're probably right. It's it's so well crafted and it's it's throughout the entire it's telling the story. And I know that, like I was saying before, it was it gives away some things, but it, it does it in such a deft way that it allows you to go along on the story. And it ties, like I said, when I hear these songs, like literally sometimes I'm like, I want to cry because this song is amazing. Yeah. And it makes me think of like certain things, certain times in my life, certain it, it, like t- when I, you know, brings me back to childhood, all of these different things. And um, I don't know, I just really wanted that to be known that, that Howard Shore's <laughs> score is just phenomenal. Absolutely, man. Oh, I wanted to touch on one last casting thing, um, just in how great Ian McKellen is as Gandalf. And one of the things I noticed this time that I think he brings to the role that he's so good at, because he's wearing this giant beard and this giant hat most of the time and these in this hair. And so he's almost like obscured by his costuming. Right. So what he has to do is acting with his eyes and he is incredible with his eyes. Like going wide, squinting, like uh, winking at people. He throws out so many winks in this movie. Um, <laughs> it's so good, man. Like he, it's it's like all eye acting, and he's he's incredible at it. I, you know, I think of like Tom Hardy, you know, as Bane in the in the in the Batman movies. Just in that, it's like he's wearing something that you almost can't see any other expression other than his eyes. So yeah. he has to do it all there. Uh, you just reminded me. You've heard the joke that that um, Christopher Nolan wants Tom Hardy to to only act with his eyes now, right? Because of because of Dunkirk, he was like the pilot, yeah, that had a covered up <laughs> face. So he's always like covering up his face and seeing if he can pull off an acting gig with yeah, just his eyes. I think he's a great actor. So I, I, I yeah. think he I think he does pull it off. Yeah. So, um, but Ian McKellen, I completely agree. Yeah. I don't see this movie without Ian McKellen, and we talked about it. They're 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 doing an Amazon series. For Lord of the Rings, and there's rumors that Ian McKellen will return as Gandalf, and that is the best thing that they could possibly do for that for that fledgling show that's starting up. (laughs) Fledgling, they spent a billion dollars on it. Did you read that? But it's still starting up. Yeah, it's still on its billion dollars. That's wild. Like it better be good. You put that much money in it, man. They needed some. It's crazy because it's like they base. I mean, they didn't put a billion. I mean, they probably did. All things considered, but a billion dollars probably made all three of these films. Yeah. All three of the original trilogy in you know the nineties in yeah. the late nineties early two thousand. So crazy amount of money. I hope that that show is good. I love this material, obviously, but I don't know. I'm I just I don't know. You're hesitant because we'll you're like you're wondering what other stories there are to tell in this world that are going to be that engaging. Yeah, other than I don't. This one. <laughs> this will be the best one. You're not going to write a story in Tolkien's universe that's better than his own story that he crafted for 50, like 30, 40 years or whatever. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I just, unless they're redoing the story, which I don't like, but I'm fine with at the end of the day. And if it's good, I'm, I will like it. You know what I mean? I'm going to go into it with an open mind is what I'm trying to say. All right. I said one last casting thing, but I have one more. Um, <laughs> this one's kind of jokey. Uh, and I'm just proud of myself cause I caught it. So when they first walk into Bree there, there's like a bunch of grungy humans who just like show up out of frame doing weird shit. And they're mm-hmm. all like taken aback. And there's this one guy who just takes a big bite out of a carrot. And I'm right. like, that looks like Peter Jackson. 
And my wife's like, yeah. uh, what? And I'm like, that totally looked like Peter Jackson. And anyway, we Googled it, and it was Peter Jackson. Yeah, <laughs> Apparently, man. he's he's in like all of the Lord of the Rings movies and he says is, something. Yep. And, yeah. and he even reprised his role as Carrot Brie Man in one of the Hobbit films. When they go back yeah. to Brie, he's like yeah. there again eating a carrot. I don't know, pretty cool. <laughs> so yeah, props to Peter Jackson cast as a uh, carrot man and 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 Brie. <laughs> yeah, I always uh, I I didn't know that you know when I was younger, and I eventually heard about it. And uh, my favorite of the three is him is his two towers. Did you did you get to see pictures or video of him all of his all of his cameos? I think I can't remember which one he was in two towers though. In two towers, he's just like in the Battle of Helm's Deep. Okay. So, but I'll let you. I don't want to ruin. it. I want you to see it. Uh, but <laughs> I'll look for really, that when we really cover two towers. So finishing our general discussion here and moving into the actual meat of what happens in the story, <laughs> um, I think I do want to give another huge shout out to Weta Workshop. Richard Taylor was over there as like kind of the creative genius and it's kind of his workshop that's blown up at this point. And they put an, an intention to detail that it's unbelievable. There was, I was in the appendices, they go into full detail, but 10, 10 of the exact same costume for each character and then their stunt doubles and then their miniatures. They're miniature versions. <laughs> mm -hmm. So that's like 30 right there just for just for the, the stunt. You know, it's yeah. it's crazy. That's a crazy that's amount of costuming cool. that's made. Not to mention the orcs, making all of the orcs and the Urukai. Yeah. It, it's it's it holds up. Like you look at that makeup and all the stuff that, that you see in there and it, it all looks amazing. So we want to get into the meat of this here, but before we do yeah, that I, I have a lot I want to say about Boromir, which I know was like a big topic in our last um our last episode, and I I'm I'm dying to get into it. Before we get to that stuff, we wanted to talk to you about our Patreon that we're launching in order to interact with our listeners a little more. Yeah, man. Uh I wanted to talk about the different levels people can choose to donate at. Uh just real quick. Um uh, we have our, our lowest level is just one dollar a month. Um, you know what I mean? Like what is that like a pack of gum um and and for that you just i mean that's just helping us out um you get we'll, we'll shout you out on the podcast um you will sign you up for our newsletter and you get the satisfaction of knowing you're helping us right but if you wanted to take that next step and get a bunch of content we have a three dollar a month option you choose that donation level and all of a sudden, everything unlocks. You get bonus episodes. You get to vote on polls about future projects, right? Uh, we have a secret group on Facebook we just made. So you can get in there and interact with like other people who are really into this stuff. Yeah, and for that amount as well, you get everything in the tier above that. So for the $3 amount, we still shout you out on the podcast. Yeah. You're in the newsletter. And I mean, the the secret Facebook group that we have, like I'm looking forward to, we're going to create polls about future projects. Mm -hmm. We're going to post, you know, exclusive content there. And um, through Patreon, you'll be able to access our bonus episode yeah. that uh, will be will be dropping bonus content at least once a month. Typically, what we're thinking is kind of doing some adaptation stuff, yeah, uh, like like talking about like future projects that we might be covering, but also just anything that we're that we're up to. Like we we have we have an episode out right now that you can go listen to if you if you subscribe to Patreon. Yeah, that's what I wanted to say. Like we uh, when you're hearing this, our our first uh, bonus episode is there now, waiting for you. So yeah, go sign up now and you can get you can get right to it. Check that out. We also talk a lot about Infinity War on there, um, but we save it for the second half so that if you haven't seen it, you can check out before the spoilers. Um, but yeah, if you like our take on that, that's a good way to do it. We do have one other level. It's the ten dollar a month level. Um, that one we're gonna we're gonna send you swag. We're gonna send you uh, if you want to call it that. Uh, we're gonna send you like st a sticker, a button, a bookmark, you know, so forth. 
Um, and, and that's going to have our logo on it. And you know, if you want to rep the podcast, that'd be cool. But also that's just a way, you know, you can help us out even more. That's like the, the, the high roller level. But yeah, that's, th- those are our three levels. And what we're trying to do is we're trying to hit two goals. You'll see on the side when you go to the site. And our first goal is just to cover our costs, like uh, the costs that James and I are paying out of pocket right now to run this podcast. Uh, that's our main goal is to get that thing covered so that we're not paying to, to bring this to you guys. Um, the next level is a facelift level. And that's that that would be really cool because that what that means is we can start to make improvements on the show. We can start to we can redesign our logo. We can uh, pay someone to do that who's a professional rather than just me. Um, We can get new music. We can all this kind of stuff. Right. And then we can maybe even do some advertising for the show. Um, but we need to have we we gotta we gotta get those costs covered before we can even think about that right now. With that revamp, we will also be looking to getting better equipment, so better audio quality. Yeah. Looking to getting like a- anything that we can do to make the podcast better. Whenever we are able to, we we will absolutely do that. We're not looking to make money on this podcast yeah. for any time in the foreseeable future. Yeah. So it's one of those things where it's like we want to bring this podcast to people who want to hear it and just get it to as many people as we can. Yeah, absolutely, man, and and. If we can pay for new audio equipment, we can pay for all this other stuff, we can pay for a new logo, the next step would be to start going to, like, conventions and stuff, right? Like, that would be really cool, but that's really uh, cost prohibitive right now, too. So, yeah, it's just, like, the, we're going to reinvest whatever you guys donate to us. So, definitely check it out, you know, give give our page a look. It's patreon.com forward slash ink to film, and just give it a look and see see what we're offering, see if it interests you. And we, we appreciate it. And once again, you don't have to do it. <laughs> we totally understand if you just can't afford it. No, no, no shame in that. But uh, yeah, if you have a few bucks to spare, take a look at it. Thank you guys so much. Yeah, thank you. So here we are. We're going to jump into the actual meat of this. We're not going to go scene by scene. We, we do want to hit on everything that we possibly it can. It would be a five hour podcast if we wanted to do scene by scene. <laughs> yeah. So just opening up, uh, we, we're going to jump around, but we're going to try to go as chronological as possible uh, to start that prologue, that that beginning scene that yeah. sets up everything. Give me your thoughts right away because I have some. I think it's a cool hook, you know, and it's I love seeing Sauron in his in his element, just fucking wrecking people. You see the massive battles. So as a viewer, you're alerted to what this what this trilogy is capable of. Right. Because otherwise you 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 could think like, oh, it's kind of small scale. But no, it's showing you like, oh, no, there's freaking giant armies that are going to be going at it. Um, and you know, it's, it's, it's such a cool setup for the, for the trilogy, you know what I mean? Almost more than a setup for the first movie. That that's the scene that hooked me. I mean, like you said, it is a hook and this is something they talk about in the appendices is they needed to very quickly establish this world because it's a lot of, it's basically exposition, but they wanted to show everything that was going on. They wanted to show this stuff so that people weren't just hearing it secondhand to be able to boil down all of that that goes on in like a couple pages of the script um, was something that like the writers toiled over for for a very long time and but it worked so well it's you you establish the rings you establish the races you establish Sauron the evil you establish the elves in their prime it's it's and the and men too when yeah. men were like corrupted by the ring it's it's such a great scene and so well done man it's just like to, to start a movie out that comes out in 2001 and looking like that with those effects and and yeah, some of those opening shots. I mean, like Frodo sitting out by a tree reading, and that like that you know, the, there's like flowers all around him and stuff. Like it's just some of the most beautiful sets I, I maybe in film that I've ever seen. Like it's incredible. 
And it's natural too. Like it's, I mean, yeah, it's like staged and some of it they built, but also a lot of it's just inherent in New Zealand, right? Like that's why yeah. they, these movies are such a huge tourist thing for New Zealand now because you see that and you're like, I got to go there. Like, I know I want to go there. It's on my bucket list, you know? <laughs> exactly. I want to go there so bad. Maybe like, we should we should all go, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Let's do it for the podcast. Let's in the listeners, everybody, let's all go. We'll take you with us. <laughs> so something cool that that year that they took to build uh, Hobbiton that I was talking about uh, before the break there, they actually like let all of the wildlife and everything overgrow for that year. So they just like built these things and then let the, everything grow naturally so right. that it had that natural look. And that's cool. It works so well. And like you said, some of these shots are just like so iconic and the the crane shot or that rising shot as as gandalf's carriage comes into hobbiton and it reveals all of it yeah i almost lose it every time it's so it's amazing it's so, so beautiful good. right gandalf's introduction yeah. he ian mckellen unbelievable we talked about this ad nauseum at this point but <laughs> yeah. um frodo and and gandalf's talk as they're as they're in the carriage on their way through and like setting up the friendship that they share and then that will will carry on and, and, and almost like and you know what i'm gonna backtrack a little bit on my on my um elijah wood uh, elijah wood dissing i did earlier his <laughs> relationship with gandalf is the heart of this of these movies almost and i think he nails that like i think yeah. that alone he nails uh, i mean not, not, and like not saying that <laughs> <laughs> he doesn't know anything else i mean that that is so important to this movie and he nails it. So that alone makes his casting a good one, I guess. Right? Yeah. That's I, I, I yeah. They have such a fantastic relationship, and yeah. and it's like he looks at he looks at Gandalf with such wonder, and like he trusts him entirely, and and it's such a great thing that they build up and then tear us down later in the movie. But yeah. So yeah, uh, Gandalf. I also love Gandalf and Bilbo's introduction and the way that they interact together as old friends. The the way that the sh the the birthday goes about exactly as it goes in the book. I feel like you can't watch the stuff in Hobbiton without just having like a freaking smile on your face. Like it's, it's just so much it's fun. so uplifting. It's so warm and cozy. And you know maybe that's like uh, maybe that's only to Western audiences. I don't know, but geez, it's just like it's 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 right there, man. It's so good. Yeah, I I don't know if this is if this is something that's gonna grind somebody's gears but mary and pippin way better in the movies oh interesting i think that they're they're funnier in the, in the in the movies well i felt like they didn't have anything to do in in the in the fellowship i'm talking fellowship specifically for now uh the fellowship book they didn't have much to do they were basically just there, there because they it's were funny because they were there Frodo. more though because like when when bilbo and, and sam leaves he's they're with they're with pippin i believe and then they meet mary later on on the road right. um so you know, Pippin's actually there much earlier on, but you're right. He doesn't do much. He's just there. I don't know. I just feel like they're, they're more well-defined characters, whereas yeah. they're just like names that are with them sometimes in the book. Yeah. Uh, I, I think they really come to their own in the second book. So that's something to yeah. definitely track. As For we, sure. As we we'll definitely forward. watch that. How scary is that scene when, when Bilbo's left and Frodo comes in to the, uh, the house, this is, this is jumping around a little bit, but Frodo comes in the house. Gandalf <laughs> is in the house. Uh -huh. And he's like, where is it? Is it secret? Is it say like, like all of that? Like, comes out of the dark. Yeah. It comes out of the dark. And just like the, the ominous like feeling that you get throughout all of that. Just basically the Shire during the night. That's something we were missing in the books. We talked about like Gandalf in the books is like weirdly calm about all of this. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like he's not, he's not like, oh my God, this is dangerous. Whereas in the movies we get that like when he shows up, he's almost wild. Like he's like, so like, oh my God, is it, is it okay? You know, he has all the lights off, I think presumably because he doesn't want to draw attention. Right. So yes. 
yeah, I, it's it's it adds to that. Uh, it adds to tension. It adds to suspense, and uh, yeah, t- definitely works. So we leave the Shire and we set off on this adventure with just Frodo and Sam. And I mean, I, we jumped ahead momentarily, but I would never forget Sam. And I want to say that like Sam's introduction and everything, it's very similar to the book. Yeah. But like you said, right away, I'm, like he genuinely is my favorite character he's so in these likeable. movies. I mean, he's so likable in Stranger Things, Sean Astin. Like he's just, when you see him on screen, you just like him. <laughs> he's the best. And Goonies never say die. And he's a... <laughs> He's awesome. I you were saying earlier that something that you feel is is the heart and soul of this is of this movie is the Gandalf Frodo relationship, but the Frodo Sam is is um the thing that I always feel is the most powerful story in this. You're like right. Aragorn it's, it's, it's both. Yeah, you're you're right. Those those two are probably equal in, in, in at the heart of this movie. Yeah. We get the famous the line of this is the farthest that I've ever been and all of that and it's all amazing. <laughs> we get so many um, Tolkien lines too, which I, I love that he included, like word for word, verb- verbatim about like going out your door and never knowing where you'll be swept up, swept off to, that kind of stuff. Like it's right out of the books, and it's it's just so wonderful. Uh, and yeah. so it's so glad to see that Peter Jackson included all those all those touches. Agreed. We get the we get the wraiths. They are much more violent. You wanted to track that through the book, yeah. and uh, they like chop somebody's head off like immediately. <laughs> Basically, one of the first times that we see them. They cut somebody's head off in the street, and then uh, do they? Wait a minute! They chop someone's head off. I don't remember. There's that. literally there's literally a shot where they're galloping down, and there's like a guy standing in the road, and they show they show the wraith like swing its sword as it runs by, and it cuts away from that to like something else. Wow! So, like, I didn't remember that. I know they ran it. They um they run the door over in Bree. Like it just flattens the the doorman, and then they like ride yeah. in over top of him. That's pretty gnarly. Yeah. Which is where they're heading. So basically, yeah. we get a lot of traveling, which is, I, I love it. And then they run into Pippin and, and uh, Mary, and they travel to Bree together. But along the way, we get that amazing scene where they have to hide in the roots of the tree mm-hmm. from the wraith. And Frodo's tempted to put the ring on. And this scene in particular, like, freaked me out as a child. And it's, like, straight out of the book yeah. and straight out of some of the art that, that yeah. some of these well, artists... Well, part that- of what freaks you out about it, I think, is the bugs, probably. Is that true? Is that safe to say? Well, somewhat, but but more just like the the noise and the breathing of the horse and the way that the wraiths are breathing and sniffing out the ring and it's it's scary. It's unsettling, kid. Yeah, yeah. It's funny because I remember being kind of freaked out by it in the you know as a kid or whatever I was in high school. Um, But yeah, it. I think now like the spider, like I don't like spiders, so that kind of is like, but like. I don't know the worms at his feet. Those don't bother me at all. <laughs> like I'm yeah. like I'm like I'm good with worms. Like earthworms being in the ground, they don't freak me out. Right. The centipedes, I guess, a little creepy. It's such a cool choice to have all that stuff like come out though when the wraiths are near and like it's all like crawling away from the wraiths and the evil. Oh, you th- is, cool. is that how you took it? Because I I just took it to be like that shit was down there and they just like are, because they're under a big log. Like it's just that's what that shit's in there. Oh, I'm not sure. I've always just read it that way. That the they I were, like they, that read though. That's a cool read. The animals themselves are like fleeing. I like that right. actually. Yeah. So they make it to Bree and they go into the bar and it's very much the Prancing same. Prancing Pony, man. Don't call it a bar. It is the most legendary <laughs> inn in all of fantasy. It's, we, an we, we, it's a throwback to our first episode of the book. It's uh, the, I, I contend the the most famous uh, inn in all of fantasy. And I keep thinking about it. I don't know if there's anything else that matches that, the fame yeah. of Prancing Pony. They see the dark, mysterious man across the room mm-hmm. while they're all having a good time and and Frodo mistakenly puts the falls and has the ring land in on his finger which is an amazing shot. And I feel like this is something in the storyboards that you, you can see when you watch some of the appendices. Um, that's something I definitely should have mentioned is, is 
Peter Jackson was so meticulous making this movie that everything was storyboarded. Everything he wanted was they knew what they were going to shoot when they got to set. And that kind of that kind of preparation is like any any filmmaker will tell you that preparation is your your greatest friend. And like that level of preparation is I mean, it's a luxury because not a lot of time you can't do that every time, but it it made it so that on this that's how you run a three you know three year production is you have to be completely prepared and he didn't always go specifically with the storyboards he just uses them as a template i just think that's amazing so that shot where he's falling was drawn hand drawn in storyboards and then pre-vised and all of this stuff cool crazy shot where it falls right on his finger aragorn uh takes them and and hides them basically when the you know, and you know, and the other thing is, as much as I'm giving Sean Astin props for being likable, like Vigo, you know he's a good guy, in my opinion. Like you, you're like, like they're kind of hesitant around this guy at first, but you're like, oh man, this is a good guy. You could tell he's charismatic as hell. He's hell got yeah. it all, man. And he's like, I he from the cast. I love all these people. Would love to meet them, but I want to meet Vigo so bad. Like, oh, he's, he's an interesting. He's, he's an interesting. Very guy. interesting. Yeah. yeah, he. I mean, you get all kinds of stories from from all of this, and I'll send you a video, and I'll probably post it whenever we cover Return of the King. But he he really embraced the culture in New Zealand and like was very respectful of everything that went on and he's like he's just like he seems like the genuinely like nicest person oh he's um, completely dedicated some, and something my wife told me about him and i and i can't remember if it was a son or a daughter maybe a son i think but he he originally wasn't going to do the movie but his i think son uh was like a, really into the books and he had never read them and his son was like you have to do this and basically talked him into it because yeah, he was like he, it would be so cool 12 year old son says what was that for the lord of the rings and he's like yes it was and his son was like he loved these stories and uh and he was like you basically convinced him to do it and what i mean can you imagine your father being aragorn like i can't even and it's his most iconic role i mean he's done a lot of the good stuff but i mean aragorn is just so iconic yeah so yeah i love vega they they set off after the wraiths uh, come to Bree and and Aragorn is set up like this pillow trap that that you were surprised was actually from from the book when we read the book. Oh yeah yeah and and it's because I think it's because the the, the way it's staged is very movie because they all come in in a row and like seeing which by the way great cool cool freaking shot when like they're all like one at a row in a row coming with their sword out they're like gliding the, in with they're gliding in smoke, yeah, yeah it's really otherworldly and that I think just because all of that was so like staged in a cool way but still like very you know staged i was like right. i thought that was a that was a movie only thing but yeah it was cool to see that that was a scene in the book speaking of that if it feels like we're rushing past your favorite scene or whatever uh we talk about this stuff at length over the, our previous three episodes so check those out if you want to hear about even more yeah i think honestly from here we should we should start to to key in on on certain scenes they travel with Aragorn and they uh, they kind of buy into his trust and they he's like, I'm taking you to Rivendell. And they're like amazed and they're so happy to go see the elves, specifically Sam. I got to call and you they, on something. I'm pretty sure you say Rivendale a lot and it's Rivendell. But do I, I don't say know. Riven- it sounds like you're saying Rivendale, which always makes me think of like Sunnydale High <laughs> or something. I don't know. Like, <laughs> R- Okay, Rivendell. I'll make sure I I'm articulate it more. Um, Leave that in. That's funny. <laughs> the... So yeah, Aragorn says that they're going to Rivendell and he basically guides them to 
Yeah, Weathertop. It's a great, great scene. And like so battling cool. battling the, the wraiths is amazing. What's your favorite part of that scene? Probably Aragorn being a badass um, <laughs> is really cool. But yeah, I mean, Frodo putting on the ring and see, and like, because he thinks he's going to escape. Right. And, but then it actually goes the exact opposite way because yeah. like now he can be seen by these guys like even better it feels like to me so it was a cool like misdirect so they they travel the woods this is when arwen saves them and then they get to rivendale and the council of elrond takes place in rivendale um what are your favorite parts from rivendale <laughs> i feel like you said rivendale 300 times in a row rivendale <laughs> rivendale uh, um yeah dude uh the Council of Elrond is epic, and we talked about it in the book episode, but like it goes down way better in the movie um, because they really highlight the bravery of Frodo in that moment. And they set it up earlier with a scene. Now, it might be an extended scene. I don't know. But a scene with him and Sam, and Sam is talking to him about how, like, do you think we're going to get to go home soon? And Frodo's like, yeah, you know, like, I, that's what, like, they're both planning to go home. And right. so that sets up the idea that they weren't planning to go to Mount Doom at all. And it's this holy Frodo volunteering. And when he does that, I love that there's this, he shames everybody there, really. Yeah. Like everybody has this moment of like, like, what are we doing? We're arguing, we're, you know, we're, you know, bickering when like this guy is willing to do it. And so I feel like the shame is then also met with like, I, instead of that, I'm going to be brave too. It is, it's, it's shame and then inspirational, right? He then inspires everybody to volunteer and yeah. that's just such a brilliant moment by by peter jackson and i gotta give him huge props for for just subtly changing how that scene goes down in the book and and really getting at the like i think the more powerful version yeah i agree it's i mean the i will take the ring to mordor interrupting everybody is always been one of my favorite parts of the whole movie the writers said that like famously this this it was extremely hard to to condense everything that happens in rivendale and make it coherent and everything they needed to get done in there but they pulled it off very well. And then, yeah, everybody joins in and they, they head off with the fellowship and those fellowship shots, those early shots and the music, the score rising as they're leaving. And which, uh, by the way, on, on the on the um, the the cast commentary, Boromir isn't he wasn't present for those scenes. <laughs> they just digitally put him in. <laughs> yeah, which is insane that they had because like, you know, before then they wouldn't have had the technology to do that. It's the scenes where they're leaving. They're yeah. like leaving Rivendell. Right. Before they leave there, there was a scene I wanted to talk about. Um, this is the first part where Boromir's character feels changed to me a little bit. Um, mm -hmm. He he sees the uh, the sword hilt of the broken sword, which I'm forgetting its name now. You probably know it. Narsil, right? Yeah. So he, and he like picks it up and he's looking at it and he talks to Aragorn for a second. And then he just kind of like throws it back down and it falls on the ground. And then he like for a second he looks back at it, but then he walks on and he doesn't pick it back up. Mm-hmm. And it always felt to me like they were setting him up as being this flawed, like, I don't know, like he, he maybe he doesn't have the proper respect or he doesn't have the proper like, uh, uh, you know, he doesn't look at the past with, you know, the proper reverence, that kind of stuff. Well, it is. He does. He does do that, though, because because he there's no king in Gondor and he's felt he feels betrayed and that he feels like not only are they propping up all of Middle Earth by fighting, you know, Mordor constantly. But there's also nobody. The, their ruler has run away. So his his father is the steward of Gondor. So like he doesn't have respect for these ancient like relics yeah. of the past. And, and I guess that makes sense that he doesn't pick it up. But but really, I just wanted to use that moment as the first of several. I think where Boromir, uh, really, it's like in the council, right? Where he he it seems like he's already lusting for the ring, right? Right. And and this is um I maybe we should save this talk for the very end. But I think there's an interesting debate about how the ring works. 
Yeah. And I think that the interpret there's an interpretation the movie takes and there's an interpretation the book, in my opinion, takes. And then maybe a lot of it is left up to the to the reader or viewer to decide yeah. how it works for them. Um, so let's let's revisit that, I think, at the end, because it would be a nice, I think, like bow to put on this. Yeah, let's do that. So as you were talking about Boromir, uh, you made me remember, like, I think probably one of my favorite shots in the whole film is uh, as they as they are on their way up the mountain there. Mm-hmm. So the, the fellowship has been traveling together and they get to the mountain with the snow and they're pushing through with the hobbits and Frodo falls and the ring falls off. And we get this shot uh-huh. of the, the massive ring and frame. And in the background, we see Frodo and Aragorn helping Frodo up. And sh- and then we see Boromir's hand come into frame and pull, pull the ring up. And that shot is, is like, I've made that my background on my, on my phone, on my computer, like that shot to me, like it represents what the ring means to everybody, how large of a burden this is for everyone. And, and like seeing Frodo and, and like the moment that Boromir picks it up, like that's, that's the moment that like, you're sure that something's going to happen, that they're not just setting this up for nothing. Like Boromir, something's going to happen with Boromir and the ring. Yeah. I mean, and I also want to give props to Sean Bean. Like he's oh, yeah. incredible. He's incredible as Eric. Uh, sorry, as Boromir. <laughs> he's so, he's so good. I got to keep bringing up these little fun facts from the appendices, but I got to quickly tell you this one. Basically, Sean Bean hated riding in helicopters and they had to take a helicopter up the mountain to get to that certain shot. Mm-hmm. And Vigo was so blown away by Sean's performance because he knew that the entire time that he was like talking about the ring and everything he had to do in that on the snow in the snow there, um, he knew that it was like the worst thing for for Sean knowing that he was gonna have to take the helicopter back down the mountain. And like he was like Vigo was like, how did you push that out of your mind? And he was like, I was thinking of it constantly. So like he was, and then from from then on throughout the rest of the production, he refused to be in a helicopter. He's like, I'll swim, I'll do whatever. And famously, there was a shot like a couple days later that they had to they had to like travel by helicopter up to up this like cliff face to like a lake on top of a cliff. Mm-hmm. And he he like they all the rest of the cast were in choppers flying over him, and he had left like two hours before because he was like scaling this like mountain in full Boromir gear, scaling the mountain like and getting to the location <laughs> that's because he he hated i just like can only imagine looking down and seeing boromir climb this mountain yeah i don't know that i've ever been oh no i have yeah i i can get like the fear of a helicopter but yeah yeah um so they they push through the mountain and we get the scene with the the snow and then they decide to go to moria and we talked about moria a lot in in our book episode but the things to highlight i think are first of all the the immense size of of the Mines of Moria and what we see in the movie is unbelievable. They they were able to bring that to screen, and um, the battle that they have with the cave troll, and then soon after with the Balrog. Yeah, man, it's it's so good, and and I mean the Balrog is something that is just iconic from the book. That scene is so fantastic. That you know the you shall not pass thing is just. I mean Gandalf nails that. It's some of the coolest, like that CGI just looks great too. Even yeah. now, it looks amazing. They shrouded it in darkness and something interesting I wanted to say about the Balrog that I learned was the sound design. A lot of the sound design was Foley and or ADR and some of the work for the Balrog, the actual noise that it makes when it opens his mouth is like concrete being scraped against like like a piece of wood because they wanted it to sound unnatural, but also oh. like lava and of the earth and rock. So they literally scraped rock, and that's like what what his roar is made from. In the books, we get we get Aragorn and Boromir have that like heroic moment where they try and charge back out onto the bridge, which we don't get in the film, and I kind of miss that. 
There was a moment that like like Aragorn like tried to go back out. Yes, yeah, just Aragorn he, like shoved though. him away. Uh, and, yeah. and, and, and to me, that goes back to what I'm. I'm, I'm I'll arrive at my point eventually. But yeah, the Boromir stuff like it, it it's changed a little bit for the movie. And like I can understand why they did it. But um, when I think about the character from the book, um, it feel it feels it just feels different, I guess. And I'll touch on it more as we get more Boromir stuff yeah so yeah we get the scene with uh the bridge of Khazad Dun. yeah we get Gandalf's death which which was like the biggest hit for me as a kid and yeah. and like it's still the I think it's still the emotional center like I enjoy, I really enjoy the Boromir like like storyline and hit the tragedy of Boromir um yeah. but like having Gandalf leave the party as we talked about in our book episode is just like it just completely changes the movies and the story yeah, absolutely. And and just the, the reaction shots of them all afterwards. And, and I do like the Boromir for at one point says like, you know, have a heart, um, give him a moment, that kind yeah. of thing. Um, but I also get Aragorn. It's interesting because Aragorn is very like, no, we need to keep moving. And like, I think that's very understandable in sort of like a military sense. Yeah. Um, I do think that's a little different than the book because I think he he wasn't necessarily the one to be all like, we got to keep moving immediately. Yeah. So they, they keep moving and they, they head to Lothlorien. Yeah. I mean, I really enjoy the, some of the technical things that went on here. Um, just stuff that I learned from the appendices. They shot a lot of the Lothlorien stuff in a higher frame rate. Um, and Interesting. They were in order to make it have like more of a like an ethereal look. And I just thought that was really cool. And it, it, something to note is that like a lot of that stuff was shot basically in slow motion because of the way that they were shooting it. And so when they in post, they had to like speed it up and then have all the actors come back and ADR their own lines, which is ADR is basically just like they're re-recording the actor's audio and then dubbing over the scene, which they had to do like 90% of this movie they had to do that for. Yeah, I'm always interested to know how often that kind of thing happens. With this, I guess the issue was that they had a lot of specifically there's stuff in the sound stages that like there was like an airport right next door or something like that. And <laughs> so they apparently a lot. It's a nightmare to have to ADR stuff because it's you have to nail it. Um, but yeah, so they sped that stuff up. Crazy stuff, just to think that that, that went into all the production of this. That reminds me, so a couple of things in Lothlorien. Um, there's, so Galadriel like, looks at each of them, and they all meet her gaze, except for Boromir, who like looks like ashamed, and like he kind of cringes when she looks at him. And that backs up what I, one of what I've kind of been hinting at, but like to me, I think a viewer could, could be forgiven for thinking that Boromir has been plotting to take the ring like i think that that's kind of implied like that he has been waiting for his moment like he's been planning this all along and i think that is safe to say a big change from the book because i don't do not think that's true in the book at all i don't know that i read it that way um but i see why you would say that but i i don't read it that way because i see boromir as someone who had a moment of weakness by the end like yes it was calling to him and i think that he was just repeatedly trying to say like this yeah. is the thing that if boromir got this he thinks that it would save his people no, and, and, I, and I agree. Like, I think that's what the movie is actually saying. Right. But in the way they staged some of these prior scenes, mm -hmm. I think a viewer could be forgiven for thinking that Boromir has been plotting this all along. Yeah, I agree. You know I, I can mean? definitely I can definitely see why someone would think that for sure. In the book coverage, I talked about how some people see Boromir as a bad guy when they yeah. walk away from this movie and that well, bums me I out. Well, because I think the movie leans hev heavier in that direction. Right. And it bums me out cuz like it's not necessarily like it's that's the tragedy of it is that he's not a bad guy. He's a really right. good guy who wants to do the right thing and and save people and and be a, uh, it it just yeah. In the end, it, it's heartbreaking. Yeah, and I want to talk about that scene more, too, at the end. Uh, but another thing with Galadriel. So another scene that does not hold up for me, and even when I think I saw it, I found it kind of hokey, 
when she's resisting the ring and she says no, and then she all of a sudden like turns into this like blue alien for a second and is like, whoa, she has this really deep voice. The Dark Queen. Just the blue alien look, man. Like it looks like something out of Fifth Element. <laughs> I'm just like, it's, <laughs> I just don't like it. I don't know. It doesn't yeah. really hold up. It To me, it doesn't look very good. It looks kind of silly. I still, I still enjoy it. Um, it's a cool scene, but the way it looks, I guess, is what I'm saying, you know? Yeah. I think it still works. I agree that it definitely looks weird, but um, it's funny because like he repeated this in the in the Hobbit. Like there's like some blue Galadriel, and it looks very similar, even with the newer text. So like that's what he wanted to do. As a kid, when I first saw this, I didn't understand Galadriel's like whole deal. Like I didn't understand the fact that she was like, I thought she was literally a bad guy. Basically, I well, that they she make was... her unnecessarily creepy. Right. I think they really lean into her being weird and creepy, which I guess like she is kind of in the books too. But um, yeah, it's like, yeah, you would be forgiven for thinking she's a bad guy, too, because right. of the way she like invades people's minds and freaks yeah. them out. Right. And then she she has the moment where she says, like, I passed the test and, and all mm-hmm. of that. And it, it works really well. I think it, like knowing, you know, seeing it now. Well, you know what it does? It adds a little bit of drama to Lothlorien that is absent in the books. <laughs> There's yeah. not a lot of drama in that place otherwise. Yeah, she still does like the similar thing with with that with that dark queen speech and everything. But yeah, she doesn't like. I don't know. It's not quite as action-packed. They leave Lothorian and, and she gives them all gifts and they take those gifts down the river and eventually get off. And Oh, we see the swan boat, by the way, just for a I moment. Know, there in but a that's, swan boat. I, think that's, I think that's extended edition only. <laughs> okay. Yeah. But still, it made me happy. It's it like, random a swan boat. <laughs> yeah. I, I never really noticed the fact that she was in a swan boat until you said something about in our book coverage. <laughs> and yeah, so they, they get off here and, and the fellowship is kind of... Um, they're kind of just talking out their plan and, and Frodo walks away and he puts on the ring on top of uh, Amonhem. He's here, he puts the ring on and he's able to see all of this stuff and eventually the eye is like on top of him, which is so effective because like that eye is the most iconic part of this movie for people, I feel like. People remember. Yeah, and, and this book, he's just like wandered off in the movie, by the way, too. And yeah. I thought it made a lot more sense in the book where it was like they hadn't decided what they're going to do yet and he's like, I need an hour to think about it and he goes off. You know what I mean? Like it made right. more sense whereas in this he just irresponsibly wanders away from the group yeah and then boromir comes upon him and uh go ahead and, and yeah, say boromir creepily follows him i don't know yeah yeah this is this is where you should you should tell me all the stuff that you wanted to say about boromir's well i mean i guess you kind of said that he was it was all yeah. leading to him kind you know of and honestly like this scene is great yeah like i love i love this stuff i think this scene is great it's more of like what leads up to this and like what where you think he's coming from in this moment because mm-hmm. i think what we what what is meant by the film and what is meant by the book is that he has been twisted by the ring. The ring has turned his his desire to do good against him. And in this moment, he can't resist it anymore. The magic of the ring just like has him in his in its thrall, right? And it's forcing him to like use all of his wiles to try and, and get the ring. Um I do think the movie is saying that. But what leading up to that is it, it what muddies the waters a little bit is you could also think he's been plotting this all along and he's taking this moment because he sees the Frodo go off on his own and he's now go, Oh, I can spring my plan into action. Right. Yeah. And so, so it's those two things that are just a little weird for me, but like ultimately, like I love this. I love this scene. I think as Sean Bean kills it with like, his like rising, you know, anger and agitation, but how he's like super friendly at the start. So good. Definitely. 
I, I mean, I completely agree with you. I'm not going to repeat all the things you just said, but that's that's exactly <laughs> how I feel about the scene. Sean Bean killed it. And then like that, it's so tragic because in that moment, he's broken the fellowship and then uh, effectively try, like he comes in to redeem himself. But anyway, Aragorn comes upon Frodo soon after Boromir uh, had kind of come after him. And I love this, the part where Aragorn shuts Frodo's hand and, and says like, basically you have to go off on your own. And that's that's a movie Man, only. He thing. says he says um, I would have gone with you all the way to the very fires of Mordor, um, but yeah. he also is kind of admitting that that he might have eventually been twisted because I, I really like that they play up. And we haven't touched on this, but they play up Aragorn's worry about the weakness of his bloodline. Mm-hmm. He worries that he's going to like be like a Sildor eventually and turn and like turn on him. Right. Yeah. That comes to fruition here. We're like, because we're for a moment, we're like, we're like, just for a second, you're like, oh, but like, then he just comes in and he's like, I would have followed you to the very fires of Mordor. And that's such a cool line. And it's, it's so like, you buy it too. Like, you know, it's true when he says it. Yeah. But you also wonder, like, at, at some point on Mount Doom, would the power of the ring gotten to even of even him? Because as we find out in Return of the King, um, it just amps up the closer they get, right? Like it's like defending itself, right? And so it's it's an open question of whether or not he would have he would have actually been twisted by the ring. Yep, we can go on all day about whether or not he he. I I think that like ultimately like as it got closer, like he may have, but like I don't know yeah. the purity of Aragorn. I don't know if you if he's like corruptible. I'm not sure. I don't think yeah. he would have ultimately, but well, that's what that's what we got to talk about, dude. That's yeah. I want to ask you about how you think the ring works. So. Let's let's look at that. You're touching on exactly what I want to talk about. Yeah. Let's save that to the very end, though. Okay. So, I mean, from here, Frodo Frodo gets to a boat and uh, hops in and like. Well, obviously, let's talk about the fact that there's a large battle going on as he hops in this yeah. boat. Cool but, battle um, too. A lot of fun cool choreography. Battle. Yes. I, that's something we should definitely talk about. Is like th- a lot of the fight choreography is amazing, and like Aragorn or Vigos famously like wanted to use his real metal sword as as often as possible instead of a fake sword, so that he could feel the fatigue of of flailing it around. Gimli, like his the prosthetics that he was forced to wear, like were like swelling his eyes so he could barely yeah. see as he was fighting and stuff. And that's cr- that's crazy that he went through that. <laughs> and crazy. I wonder how much that affected like what he could do as the character. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, cause like I can't imagine if you have like your face is all swollen, like how much that's going to affect your ability to act. When I found that out, um, I looked for scenes that like to see if like he, his eyes are definitely swollen in some scenes. I thought it was just like a, a dwarf choice. Like they chose to kind of do that for him, but his yeah. eyes are legitimately swollen, like almost shut sometimes. Yeah. And uh, this battle goes on and, and Boromir runs in to, to try to save Merry and Pippin. And like he's like wrecking people, just completely like wrecking orcs everywhere, and uh, he gets hit by an arrow. And like this is like probably one of the like most epic deaths. Like like how it's he's going out saving the hobbits, trying to redeem himself. Um, and like after the after he goes down, and Aragorn comes in and like kills that or the uruk. He like gets down and, and talks to Boromir, and that's the moment that like your heart just breaks when when Boromir talks yeah. about how the he failed and the ring called to him and he he attacked Frodo. The relationship between Aragorn and Boromir is so important, and it's like yeah. I didn't realize the importance of it early on, and like you know I've subsequent viewings I've seen it a million times, but the, it always hits just as hard the the relationship between the men and the fact that he yeah. says like. I would have followed you basically as as my captain, my king. He pledges allegiance to him right. as he dies, and and says like it's really the first person we see do it. 
And, and, Arag- and Aragorn yeah. hasn't even decided whether or not he's going to do it, but I think in this moment it kind of tips the scale. Exactly. He decides that he won't let the re- that he won't let men fail. He won't let the the realm of men fail. Yeah. And and since you're so into this, I'm sure you you caught this little detail because it's been talked about a lot, but a lot of people miss it. Um, when we see Aragorn later um, putting Boromir into the boat to send him, you know, over the over the waterfall, he has he's wearing Boromir's um, bracers. Bracers. Right that have the tree of Gondor on it's it. It's so awesome. Man. And that's like, they don't really draw that much attention to it, but he, I guess he wears them for the rest of the movies. And it's, it's, it's this callback. Like he has taken something with him from Boromir. He remembers Boromir's sacrifice. Yeah. It's really cool that they don't highlight it too. Cause they could have made a big deal about it. Like, Oh, Hey, are you wearing his bracers? You know, they could have like yeah. highlighted it and lampshaded it, but instead it's just this little detail that you can miss, but it's so cool. There's actually a lot of that in this film too, that yeah. like I, I would re- highly recommend if, if you love this stuff, like we do check out the appendices. Um, yeah. and I mean, look into it, whatever you can, cause there's so much little stuff that went into this. The attention to detail is amazing. Um, but let's finish up. Frodo is floating down the river and Sam comes in after him and the score swells and they he almost drowns but Frodo saves him from drowning and pulls him in and they float off together and the score comes in and it's like from that moment from like Sam running into the water until Aragorn Gimli and Legolas talk about going to save like their that the fact that like they the fellowship hasn't failed as long as they keep up their like they save Merry and Pippin basically because Merry and Pippin were taken by orcs yeah. Um, that whole, that whole scene, like not, I get goosebumps. I get like, it's elating, man. It's like, it brings me so much joy to see all of this stuff happen because that's how you end a movie. Like that's like, yeah. like they ended in such a strong way. Well, it's a brilliant. We, yeah. We, we talked about in the books that it doesn't end the same way. Yeah. Um, we don't get a lot of this stuff. So I, I agree. I think it's a brilliant move to take some of these scenes from the beginning of two towers and put them at the end of this book, uh, this movie. Yeah. Because we don't get this, we don't get the Boromir stuff. We, we we get he goes for the ring in the book, but he doesn't die. Not yes. he buys at the start of two towers, so that's a big change, and it it moves it moves it like moves the tragedy of his death, and instead you're just left with the tragedy of him having his weakness and and trying to fit and trying to take the ring. Yeah, I talked about in the in the book episodes. I felt like the climax of fellowship in the book is when Gandalf dies, and there's like a, we talked about there's a different sort of climax at the end of the book. Yeah, um, but this that's why i feel this way is because this is this feels like an actual ending to a story that could be on its own if if there was no stories that carried on it would be a bummer because you're like what the fuck happens with taking the ring to mount (laughs) it would be a bummer but like like if it was just going to be this like shorter story to leave you wanting more like it's a good place to stop exactly It, it really is they found the right spot you know where you still feel like you've seen like you still feel like you've seen a movie right and not just like a piece of a movie right yeah. So yeah, let's I, talk about the ring and the powers of the ring. Yeah, before we get to that though, um, I wanted—I just wanted to mention—I did watch one of the appendices, which was talking about Tolkien, and he—I um, just wanted to say it made me think about it's something we didn't talk about when we talked about his biography, the fact that he lived, and then we get we get this series because um, he fought in World War One, right? Right. And him and all his friends and like all of his friends died. Basically, he's like the only one he lived who like he went in with and all, you know, all these people died. And I, it just like I think there's a survivorship bias by us where we assume that, of course, he lived because he was meant to write Lord of the Rings. Right. And so, mm-hmm. you know, yeah, Tolkien lives. Right. But I I don't view the world that way. And instead, I just want to take a moment to recognize that in a war like that where millions of people died, so many untold stories. So many untold 
you know, whether it's works of art or something else, like contributions to society, contributions to humanity, um, if just like this one man, if he had died, we wouldn't have got Lord of the Rings, you know, and maybe we would have had something else similar, you know, whatever you can argue, but it's just, it's crazy to me to think about that. And, and, um, we, you know, I'm happy that he lived and we got this series, but yeah, I mean, it just, the tragedy of the, all the other, uh, all the other people who did die and, and what they could have contributed just like really hit home when I watched that little, uh, little bio thing. Yeah. I mean, that's a beautiful sentiment too. Cause it's like, think of all of the things that we're missing out on. And that's yeah. self, that's a selfish thing to say. I'm not, I, I like, I just mean like, had these people been able to offer to the world the things that they wanted to and could have eventually it just it's yeah. yeah all right man so what i think we should actually do is wrap up the sh- wrap up our show and then save the ring talk for the very end how does that sound yeah let's do that okay so if you like this podcast our patreon is up now if you guys wanted to start any sort of donation we would really appreciate that uh, it's patreon.com forward slash ink to film I mean, we're just really passionate about this stuff, and we re- we want to keep this coming for as long as possible. Absolutely, man. Just check it out and see see. Uh, it's all it's all spelled out there for you because I you know maybe we didn't do a great job of explaining everything here. You can see the different levels. You can see what our goals are. Um, yeah, just give it a look. Um, even if you don't end up giving us anything, that'd be cool. Uh, I also wanted to say, uh, we'll go ahead and announce our next project since you know this is the movie episode. I don't know if we've uh, we've said it enough. I think I've hinted at it social media, but we're going to be doing Fahrenheit 451, another classic. Uh, this is by Ray Bradbury, and uh, I read it back in in high school, but it's been a while, and I'm so happy to revisit it. Um, there's going to be an HBO film may, uh, being adapted that is getting made, um, so that's what we'll end our coverage with it. And we hope you guys come along for that next if you if you enjoyed this. Yeah, I'm really excited for that one. You can leave us a rating and review. That really helps us out. You can leave it on iTunes, Spotify, wherever you're listening, Google Play. And those ratings help to bring eyes to our podcast and to kind of spread the word. So we would really appreciate that. And I I, I think, uh, I don't know if you can actually leave a rating on Spotify, but <laughs> wherever you can. Um, but but the other thing that really helps is just make sure you subscribe on like whatever service you use. You don't like think, that's not something you think about. You're like, oh, I'll just check it out whenever the new episode is announced on Facebook or whatever. But like actually subscribing helps our numbers immensely. And it's such a small thing, but it, re- it really helps. Also, you can find us on social media. We're on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. It's at ink to film I mean, come check out those pages. We're active on there and we will, you know, if you post something, we'll check it out. And we like to interact with people as much as possible who listen to this podcast. We also have a uh, book club on Goodreads. Um, Just search the Ink to Film book club on there and join up. We talk about different books and adaptations. Um, Just another avenue to interact with, uh, with our listeners, like you said. And subscribe to our newsletter. It's in the description. Uh, we kind of put n- new inf- information that comes up on our on our newsletter. And you can also leave feedback. We're inktofilm at gmail.com. You can send any yeah. sort of feedback that you have, any recommendations, anything that you that you have that comes up that you'd like to, us to see. Or just wanted to react to this movie uh, to coverage and let us know what you thought, whether or not you disagree, whether or not you want to call me a huge asshole for being a dick to Elijah Wood. Um, <laughs> Poor Elijah I mean, Wood. Go ahead, go ahead and write in, you know. Uh, <laughs> someone's got to defend him, so take, take up arms against me. <laughs> <laughs> and we just want to say thank you to Music Archive for the use of our intro and outro music. All right, so uh, we've saved it for last. I wanted to ask you about how, in your opinion, first off, maybe like the movie and the book both treat this and then how you personally feel. In my in my estimation, there's a couple ways you can view the ring. You can view the ring as something evil that is an exterior force 
that forces onto you bad intent. And it can do it to anyone, right? Like, it is an outside force that, like, getting hit with a hammer by an orc, like, you can't, like, that's, it's going to happen, right? Right. Or does the ring get into your soul and find something that's already off in there? Yeah, like an impurity. I know. And then where take I that impurity it, yeah. and amplify that. And maybe it does a bit of both. But like, where do you fall? Because I think the movie strongly leans in the direction of if you have some impurity in your soul, it can be it can be turned against you by the ring. Um, that's very strongly where that ring where that lands. I don't know that the book is necessarily saying that. I think there is a mix of both. But I think that to me, the ring feels more exterior. But yeah, what do so you, how do you, what, I, I actually what do you have one other way that I think that I think I think that the film is more of an interior. I think it's an interior yeah. um, conflict, not conflict, but like force. It's something that's pushing if you it, it brings those things to light. So I think everybody has some evil in them. So it's going to pull that sure. evil out of you. OK, that's movie. But I think mm-hmm. the book funny i don't i I think this would technically be more exterior but i think that it's i think in the book it's it's literally an extension of sauron like i think that it's less of being less of being like this mysterious ring that has powers but he's like imbued the ring with his powers so it is him almost in like um like a horcrux sense from harry potter so it's like like part of his soul is in the ring and it's like the the things he's the one who's who's leading you down these paths of evil and pushing you into yeah. these these directions and you're you're maybe like a personal fortitude you can resist his influence right but it's not it's it, that's different than having something about who you are being like t- turned against you right right like there's a subtle difference there i, think I agree so, yeah. with you I think that, and i think it's kind of smart because i think it makes frodo's journey more fraught because you're like is there something in there that is corruptible that the ring's going to latch onto? Right. Um, but yeah, I, I think that's, I think the reason I bring it up is I do think that's the difference in what we see with Boromir. Because I think the movie's trying to show you that he isn't, that he has like a like an evilness or a wrongness inherent in him that the ring latches onto. Right. Like a greed almost or a lust for power. And it takes like a little bit of it and it turns it up, right? Yeah, it's so but, close to the surface because of the things he's going through. Is, is because nobody yeah. else's people are under attack constantly. So it's like yeah. right there on the surface for him. So he's ripe yeah. for the taking for the ring. But for me in the book, I said in the last episode, I think the exterior force of the ring takes Boromir's strength, his his desire to do good, yeah. and truly just turns it in a, in a, in a way that doesn't make sense, but is being forced in that direction by the ring itself. Um, yeah. But that Boromir actually himself was a pure hearted, you know what I mean? Like I, I, it felt less like Boromir was corrupted before he, you know what I mean? Like before even the ring, like it, it, I don't know. The movie makes you feel a little bit like he's maybe not the best dude when you first meet him. Right. Whereas that I didn't think was true in the book. Yeah, I would agree with that. So that's something we should track in future episodes, which, by the way, we should say we're not doing Two Towers next. We always said we're doing Fahrenheit 451. We don't know exactly when we're going to do Two Towers. Um, We might put it up on some polls eventually. Um, So if you wanted to get access to voting on those, our Patreon is where to go. Um, But yeah, we do intend to definitely revisit and go back to Two Towers and then eventually Return of the King and then probably Hobbit beyond that. Uh, Again, this is such a fantastic movie and such a... I'm so glad that we, we... Did this entire project it's been such a such a pleasure so thank you guys for listening yeah thank you so much for listening i think we're we're, we're ready to call it on this on this project man uh i look forward to fahrenheit 451 uh are you are you are you done are you good 
I think so. Last question, super quick. Book or movie for Fellowship of the Ring? Oh, geez. <laughs> oh, man. Um, movie, I guess. Yeah, I go movie as well. <laughs> I got to go movie. I mean, like, I love the book. And, like, I, I it's, you know, I, just because I don't want to say tie, because I think that's lame. Right. Um, if I'm forced to choose, I, I guess I got to go movie, even though I've, I, you know, I've criticized it. I haven't been wholly, like, it's only great, you know? Yeah. But the the book has stuff to criticize, too. So ultimately, yeah, I, I guess movie for me. All right, I think that's about it, guys. Thank you so All much. Right, for let's listening. let's take that ring and find Mount Doom, <laughs> toss it in the fire, <laughs> toss it in the fire, whatever. Uh, All right, guys, see you later. Until then, I'm Luke and I'm James. Bye.